Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Well, good morning. Great to be here. Uh, so my name's Malcolm, as you've heard, and uh, we're sharing from James chapter 2. Uh, we've been looking at James chapter 1 in the last few weeks. We're into James 2. And we're going to look at the second half of James 2. Um, next week, we have uh, a visiting speaker called Owen Hilton um, from Brixton, Beacon Church Brixton, and he's going to take the first half of James chapter 2. So we've just switched the order these two weeks. So um, I hope that's not too confusing. But today, uh, we're going to look at James 2, verses 14 to 16. Now, back in um, 2004, I think it was, I started to do some research on different theological master's degrees, um, I discovered that you can go on to, to, you can do a straight MA in theology, which is more academic and theoretical, or you can do um, an MTH in applied theology. And I thought, well, I can't see the point of theology that's not applied, so I'll do the MTH. Um, And I did papers on um, healing and hearing God's word and ethics and relationships and baptism of the Holy Spirit and all sorts of things like that. And they were all practical applications, practical outworking. Now, I think if James, uh, the author of the book of James, uh, ever taught in a Bible school, I think he'd probably teach on the MTH, the Applied Theology course. Um, But Paul might well uh, uh, teach on the more academic master's course, the MA. Um, They have different approaches to things, and both are very important, of course. Um, And in part, it's that difference of approach in theology which has caused some confusion in reconciling uh, some of Paul's writings with this passage in James, and particularly verse 24. And I'll I'll unpack that later on uh, as we get into it and explain what I mean. But for now, we're going to read this passage together, uh, James 2, verse 14 to verse 26. James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God's. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? 
For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Okay, this passage uh, has caused some problems, but particularly verse 24, uh, where it says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And it's difficult to reconcile that with Paul's teaching, and in, uh, for example, in Romans 3.28, where he says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the Lord. So James seems to be saying that the, you've got to have faith and works, and Paul is saying it's just by faith that we're saved, we're justified. So there's that uh, problem with those two different positions. Now, Paul is writing about obeying the law of Moses in order to earn salvation. Whereas James is writing about the works we do in response to salvation. So the commentator Matthew Henry wrote this. He said, when Paul says that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law, Romans 3.28, he speaks plainly of another sort of work than James does, but not of another sort of faith. See, Paul was writing to people who highly valued the law of Moses. And they wanted to insist that you had to obey the law of Moses in order to be saved. And Paul is saying, no, you have to put your faith in Jesus, and it's through faith in Christ that you will be saved. But James, when he's talking about good works, he's talking about doing those good works in response to being saved, to the good news. He's saying it's the natural fruit of being a true believer. Good deeds are the inevitable product of a real faith. The Bible scholar R.C. Sproul wrote this. He said, when Luther and the reformers insisted on the formula justification by faith alone, they meant to insist that justification rests upon reliance on the merit of Christ alone. The alone does not mean that the faith exists alone without any subsequent fruit of obedience. Luther insisted that saving faith is a living faith. So let me use this illustration. Uh, back in August, as a family, we went to the Isle of Wight and we stayed on a farm there. Uh, and in the farm, there was an orchard. And the orchard had apples and pears uh, and a playground, which is where our grandchildren went. But I want you to imagine an apple tree and think about an apple tree for a moment. Um, an apple tree has roots. Uh, and if you observe the apple tree and uh, there is no fruit on the tree and there is no leaves, you would conclude that the apple tree is dead. But the source of the, li the life of the tree comes through the roots rather than through the apples. But if there are no apples, there are no leaves, you would say, well, it doesn't look as if this tree is alive. And it's the same with a person that professes to be a Christian. If he or she has a genuine faith, that person's life inevitably produces fruits. Uh, those are the good works that come out of a real, uh, genuine faith. If there's no evidence of good works, then it's reasonable to conclude that that person has no spiritual life. Their roots are not in Christ. So the example that James gives us uh, about faith and deeds is there in verse 15 and 16. And it's all to do with mercy. He says, Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, 
go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And so he's just homing in on this particular illustration of mercy ministries, which would have been really relevant to the Jewish believers, people with a Jewish background. For the Jews, charitable giving uh, of food and money was of great importance. And they equated that with righteousness, with being righteous. Charitable giving was considered to be the person's vindication on the day of judgment. If you'd been giving money, if you'd been giving food, uh, that was how you justified yourself before God. In contrast to this, the Greek people, the people from a Greek background, thought in a very different way. The Stoics, the Greek Stoics, aimed for a complete absence of feeling. They wanted to pursue serenity. But emotion disrupts serenity. So you have to try and get rid of it. You have to try and obliterate all emotion. So you can't allow yourself to be compassionate towards the poor because that would disturb your tranquility. This is the opposite of the Jewish mindset. And so when we're faced with need and poverty, it, it does unsettle us. It should unsettle us. There is a natural desire, particularly as Christians, to want to do something to help if we can do, which much more the, the way of Jewish, the way of, that the Jews thought about things. And so real faith has to have some practical outworking, otherwise it's just another philosophy for life. It's no different to anything else. So I noticed in this text that it, it says, you know, particularly people that are in the church, people who are believers, we need to serve and help one another. Um, and we are a family. God's called us together to be a family together in a local area. And over these last 18 months, one of the ways we've been trying to support one another is uh, through something called the 245 Fund. So we've been able to support people that have, uh, have been out of work or have been going through a particularly tough time financially. And so we've been able to support a number of people through that. It's a practical way of uh, outworking faith. Uh, we also have a debt advice project uh, run by Ruth Cracknell and a food bank, which we support and run. And I just felt you know, this is a good opportunity for us to be reminded about the fact that we have got a food bank. And I've invited Adrian to come and share with us. Um, we also have a little video to play in a moment, but she'll come and share and introduce uh, about the food bank. So let's uh, hear it for Adrian. Adrian is our food bank manager, and she's passionate about Mercy Ministries. Hello. Um, so, yeah, we uh, Rev started Food Bank in 2012, and we've had so many people, and some of those people have come to us time and time again. But it's just really important for us to remember that it's not an additional extra. It's part of our family DNA as children of God that we help those people that need us the most. And you guys might be thinking, well, I give, I volunteer, I, like, do all these things. There's this other thing that we have to do. But what I want to say to you is that every little thing helps, whether that's you're praying for a food bank on a Thursday, whether you're volunteering once a year, or whether you're saying to companies or your bosses or your managers, hey, I really would love to serve in this community. Is there any way that I can have a couple of hours where I can go and do that once a month or once a term? Um, serving is 
is part of who we are and it should show. And I think one of the greatest things to see is that when you're at Food Bank and people see us and we're serving them and we're loving them and we're listening to their stories and we're offering prayer, that people are really responsive to that and that they see that it's not just one person, that this kind of like flavor of loving and giving is actually a DNA thing. Um, it's not just in Adrian. It's not just in Abby or Levi or any of those people. It's in all of us. And so we can take the opportunity to introduce people to Christ. And he's the best person that we know. And I know that some of us might think that poverty is over there, but also we should just remember what we were like before Christ. You know, like he literally saved us from darkness, from poverty, from brokenness. Mm -hmm. We get to introduce people to that God and he's real. Um, and so I just want to challenge you guys. Like there might be that mindset, like I just do too much. There's so much giving. There's so much that I can't do. I want to do. And there's not enough time. And I have to say to you that if you give that priority, if you give just even if it's a pebble, okay, like, praying that adds something and somebody else can add a brick and somebody else can add another brick and so it's not just about you guys hearing me say we need you which we totally do the more saints that we have means that there's more chance for people to hear the gospel and the more people that hear the gospel means that there are more people in these seats that are going to be our brothers and sisters but what i want to say to you is that we can take bit by bit one brick at a time, one pebble at a time, and it will add up. So I just want to challenge you. It's not an additional extra. It's not a have to. It's a, a get to. It's not a must. It's a want. And I always say, like, oh, man, like, I have to do this again. Like, I have to do this thing or whatever. And I'm like, God, give me the appetite for it. Give me the hunger for it. Give me the taste for it. Give me the fire for it. And God is generous. He'll meet you there. So don't worry about, I can't do it. It needs to be somebody confident. I stand up here like with you guys today, letting you know I don't have it all together. I am absolutely messy, but I love Jesus and the Holy Spirit fills me and somehow it just works and I want it to work and I want it to be good and I want it to be amazing because I know when people meet Jesus, their life will never be the same. They will never be the same and then we'll have more brothers and sisters. So I just want to challenge you on that, that you guys get to build something great get to introduce people to the living God. So uh, yeah, um, there'll be a video that will play that just explains a little bit about what we do and how it's not that scary and that we get to do it together. So we made that video last year um, in August. And uh, if you want to know more about the food bank, which runs on Thursday mornings at Chalk Farm Baptist Church in their premises, do have a chat to Adrian afterwards. I'm sure she'd love to chat to you about how you can get involved. Uh, but it's very much part of who we are as a church. Uh, faith being put into action. Uh, and of course, there are other actions that demonstrate faith, not just food bank or, uh, you know, practical things like the uh, debt advice and all those sorts of things. There are other ways in which we express faith. So if anybody's moved out uh, from out of London into London to be part of the church here, uh, you've, you've made a step of faith. That's uh, Abraham was one that moved around in, uh, just under God's guidance and direction. And sometimes God calls us to move from one place to another. Uh, that's a step of faith. 
There are people that have moved out from us to plant a church into Tottenham in the last few months. Uh, they've, moved, they've moved homes, so some of them got new jobs. Uh, that's a real step of faith. They've actually uh, done something in response to their, their faith and their belief that God was calling them to that. Her other friends, Luke and Sarah, Tom and Flo, Ruth, who have uh, decided that God is calling them to reach Queen's Crescent, that area, and as a step of faith have now joined another relational mission church locally to go and be very much part of that, reaching that community they've wanted to reach for years. That's a real sacrifice for them, real step of faith into that new venture. Um, there are faith expressed in all kinds of ways, maybe through sharing your story about your faith in Jesus with someone else, praying for somebody to be healed, or volunteering for a particular community group, applying for a job which uh, you feel God is leading you to do, even though the salary may not be an amazing salary. There are numerous ways in which faith is practically worked out. I've been a church leader for quite a few years, and uh, I have come across occasionally uh, Christians, particularly charismatic Christians, who are big on prayer, big on worship, love Bible study, love Christian conferences, which is all good. But when you ask them to uh, serve on a Sunday, it's seemingly they're very busy. Um, or they fob you off of the old, I'll pray about that and see what the Lord is saying excuse as if God hasn't already said in, in the New Testament many times we need to serve. Um, James is saying, look, this kind of faith without works, without deeds, is, is pretty useless. Uh, he says it straight, uh, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead, verse 26. So we've got to be beware of a sort of super spirituality, which looks great on the outside, but really isn't backed up with practical outworking of faith. If you're a Christian, you need to belong to a local church. If you're in a local church, you should be on at least one rotor. Um, come on, you know, it's, it's going to have to work somehow. Uh, we can't all turn up and just sort of be caught up in the, you know, in the glories with God and uh, lost in wonder, love and praise. Uh, somebody's got to sort out all the practical things as well. So let us, let's serve. Let's express our faith in practical ways. Let's get involved. Uh, my wife, Kathy, works for an Anglican charity called the Mother's Union, um, and they have many members across the world, actually, uh, but it, particularly in the UK, lots of those members are fairly old, and they belong to smaller, often rural churches and congregations, um, but their capacity for serving is phenomenal. I mean, they really get involved with some fantastic projects. And they may not be so confident sometimes on, on Bible study and worship and those sorts of things, but everybody knows that they're people of faith because they're serving. It's obvious. It's all, all there on the surface. Faith needs to be worked out in tangible ways, ways that can be seen. I think we just have to be careful that we're not uh, full of self-importance and arrogance and feel we're better than other parts of the church. Uh, Jesus wasn't very impressed with the Pharisees who kind of took that line themselves. And in verse 21 to 26 in this passage, uh, James points to some biblical evidence that faith and deeds need to go together. And he gives two examples. He talks about Abraham and he talks about Rahab. Now, he could have mentioned lots of different people from the Old Testament, lots of different people from the New Testament, uh, but Abraham it was this great father of faith, so it's not surprising that James mentions him. And I was reading this passage a few months ago, and I, I had a bit of a difficulty with verse 21, because 
James says that Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac was evidence of his faith. Fine. But then in verse 23, he backs up that, that statement by quoting Genesis 15:6, where we read, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And my slight problem with his argument was that Abraham is, was declared righteous because he believed in God a long time before he actually got to the point where God was calling him to sacrifice Isaac uh, in, Genesis, in Genesis 22. Um, but I had to, so I had to look at this a bit more closely, and I noticed that in James 2.22, it says that Abraham's faith was made complete by his action. In other words, I think God saw that Abraham knew, uh, he knew that Abraham was going to act on his faith. So he declared him righteous in chapter 15, but he knew that chapter 22 was coming and that there was a, a point at which he was going to be willing to take action on the basis of that faith. And Abraham expressed his, his, his faith in so many ways, living in tents, traveling through that promised land. His faith was proved by his ac- actions. But It's interesting to notice that James also chooses Rahab as his second example. I mean, he could have chosen David or Samuel or Elijah or many, many others from the Old Testament, but he picks Rahab. Uh, Let's just remind ourselves of who Rahab was. Uh, She was a Canaanite woman. She wasn't an Israelite. She was probably a prostitute. She lived in Jericho at the time of Joshua. And according to Joshua chapter 2, before they conquered Canaan uh, and Jericho, Joshua sent two spies into the land. And these two guys stayed at Rahab's house, and she hid them and helped them to escape. Uh, And she said, look, if I help you to escape, you need to protect me when the Israelite army come in and conquer Jericho. So that's who Rahab was. So we've got this uh, great father of faith, Abraham, who was faithful to God through many, many years. And then you've got Rahab, uh, who is a little bit of a dubious character, a bit of a reputation for sin, whose faith is expressed most clearly in this one action. And I wonder whether James is saying that whether we have this lifetime of faith and we're fine, upstanding citizens, or you have a smaller amount of faith and a slightly dodgy background, you still need to have faith which is worked out in deeds. Uh, Otherwise, that kind of faith has no value. It has to be faith and works, faith and deeds together. If uh, you have a coin in your purse or your wallet, which is rare these days, isn't it? I mean, people, you know, just don't have coins so much. You you toss a coin and say heads or tails. Uh, It's the same coin. It's got two sides to it. And, And this is... This is what it is. It's faith worked out with deeds. It's two sides of the same coin. It's not a different coin. William Booth said that faith and works should travel side by side, step answering step, like the legs of a man walking. First faith and then works, and then faith again, then works again, until they can scarcely distinguish which is the one and which is the other. Another illustration that's been used is of a rowing boat with two oars, and one oar has faith and the other has deeds or works, and you need both. Uh, otherwise, you're going to go round in circles. If you just row with the faith or you're going to go round and round in circles, you have to have both. And so the important question is this, do we have that kind of faith? Uh, whether you've been a Christian for many years or whether you're still on a journey working out who Jesus is, that is the kind of faith you need. Uh, have you actively 
put your faith in Christ? Have you asked him to forgive you? Have you bowed your knee? Have you accepted him as Lord in your life? Have you turned away from going your own way and decided to follow him as Lord and Savior? And can you point to evidence of that faith? Can you honestly point to deeds and actions that have followed on from making that decision to follow Christ? In other words, to put it another way, are there apples on the tree? Are your roots down in the soil? Are your roots in Christ? And is there fruit as a result? James says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I'd like us to spend a few moments praying together just to be quiet before the Lord and just to ponder some of the things we've heard and uh, ask the Lord just, just to speak into our lives in this moment. Lord, I want to thank you for your work, word, which is living and active. And right in this moment, Lord, we don't want to just be hearers of the word, but we also want to be doers. We, we heard a couple of weeks ago from chapter one. And so, Lord, I just want to pray that in this moment you would speak into our lives. Lord, if, there's, if there are things we need to do, practical things we need to, maybe things you've been prompting us to do for a while and we've not really got round to, which express our faith. Lord, and I pray right now, will you just highlight that again for us? Lord, I pray for anyone here who's, who's not yet given their life to you. I pray, Lord, that they would know and understand that they can give their, their life to you and be fully right with you uh, just by expressing their faith in you. And then knowing that that faith will lead inevitably to good things, good works in their lives as well. But we pray, Spirit of God, just come and rest on us now. Help us to identify that, that thing that you've been speaking to us about. And maybe for some people, there are, you were just struck by something that was shared in the worship time. You felt God speaking to you in, in that as well. Or maybe there's a practical response to that as, as well this morning. But let's, let's make sure that our faith isn't just an internal thing that nobody sees. Let people be able to point to our faith and say, yeah, I can see that that's made a difference in your life. Thank you, Lord. Amen.